Psychological insight into the human condition didn't stem from his self-proclaimed enlightenment, but from observing day-to-day his own neurotic behavior and his own self-centered interactions with those closest to him. In any case, knowing what we do now about his uncouth antics, I would have definitely written a more critical piece on him today than I did 30 years ago. So with that caveat emptor, read the following with a discriminating eye. Distinguishing the Message from the Medium There are very few spiritual leaders in the 20th century who could be termed religious geniuses. Dufree John is one of them. Since the beginning of his formal ministry in 1972 in Southern California, Dufree John has produced a body of work that is unparalleled amongst new religious thinkers for its radical insight, comparative depth, and force of expression. He has won wide critical acclaim for his writings, eliciting praises from sociologists, psychologists, and theologians. However, though Dufree John's writings have deservedly merited respect, the person himself remains a paradox. To many readers, the guru image he portrays juxtaposes with the impact of his message. Though Dufree John repeatedly stresses the need for transcending self-centeredness, he projects an egotistical air. Hence, while many individuals are deeply attracted to the philosophy of Dufree John, they are not drawn to the man. This naturally has led to a predicament in some seekers' minds on how to properly assess Dufree John and his teachings. How does one distinguish a profound and viable spiritual message from the human medium that transmits it? This article, which is a generally positive overview of Dufree John's writings, is a response to that important question. Confusing the message with the medium In religious circles, there is a tendency to confuse the message with the medium, and vice versa. If, for instance, an author writes convincingly, elegantly, and profoundly about spiritual realization, the reader assumes that the writer must also be an enlightened being by virtue of his presentation. But this is not always the case. Simply because one communicates ultimate truths well does not mean by extension that he is an embodiment of that highest realization. Indeed, the person may be quite the opposite. A good example behind this fallacious equation of the medium is the message is found in the life and work of Alan Watts, the renowned philosopher of Zen Buddhism. Due to Watts' brilliant articulation of the perennial philosophy, some of his readers felt that he was a genuine Zen master, one who had transcended the ego and its limitations. However, as those close to Watts can attest, he was not an enlightened guru, nor did he pretend to be. Watts, like the rest of us, suffer from a number of human frailties, including alcoholism and womanizing. Though Watts wrote exquisitely about nirvana, his writings do not entirely reflect his own samsara condition. Personally, I have found this type of equative thinking among many of the followers in the new religious movements I have studied, whereas the student may only be attracted to a particular element in the teachings, and not initially to the guru or the organization, he buys into the latter, because he thinks they are inseparable. In other words, the would-be disciple presumes that he can't get it without all the accompanying paraphernalia. Take MSIA as a classic object lesson. What attracts most people to MSIA is the intriguing possibility of soul travel, not its lineage of mystical travelers. Yet instead of selecting that kernel of the teaching, the neophyte swallows the whole philosophy, believing that it is an all-or-nothing proposition. Thus following this contagious logic, the student accepts John Roger Hinkins, the founder of MSIA, as a genuine master solely by the weight of his detailed account of the inner planes, since he has already accepted the validity of soul travel and tends to idolize the testimony of others who claim to be proficient at it. But how is the unsuspecting seeker to know that John Roger copied some of his material from other Eastern and New Age groups? Furthermore, how is he to realize that John Roger's encounters with radiant beings, the hierarchy of intermasters, on the higher regions are literary fictions that he borrowed from another American offshoot of Rouhani Satsang. Fubi Quants, Rebazar Tarts, and Jagat Ho do not exist, 
neither on this planet nor on Tuza. The devotee ends up duped, and in the process of uncovering his naivete, he discards everything in the MSIA package, just like he bought it all in the beginning, even the one thing that was and is valid out-of-body experiences. Fundamentally, the mistake inherent in this kind of approach is that it lacks a consistent discriminating edge. One need not accept everything a spiritual movement offers because it has a single gleam of authenticity, nor, on the other hand, one doesn't have to dismiss the benefit of a sincere guru because he is functionally illiterate or a naive bumpkin. To illustrate this point even further, and I feel it is a crucial one for anybody involved in spirituality, think of Christianity. Now, on the whole, it is generally agreed that the Christian faith and its essential principles as laid down by Jesus Christ is a beneficial religion. Moral, loving, self-sacrificing. However, this does not mean that we cannot make qualitative judgments on various parts of its organization and history. In fact, we do it all the time. Witness our criticisms of the...